0: Good morning. I'm all in. Are you? Woo. Are you all in? All right, cool. I'm going to ask you every week for the next four, four or five weeks. y'all in? All right. Turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 15. Um, I would encourage you to keep your Bible open on your lap because we're going to be re- referring to it. We are. Uh, For those of you who are just uh, kind of coming in today, last week we began this this study of Luke chapter 15, and Luke chapter 15 uh, is a story of three parables, very well-known parables. There's the story of the shepherd and the lost sheep, the woman and the lost coin, and uh, the father and the lost son, oftentimes referred to as the story of the prodigal son, uh, last week we looked at uh, the sheep and the shepherd, realizing the story is more about the shepherd than it is the lost sheep. And we also noticed how it was about uh, more of the woman than the lost coin. And uh, what it what it did is reminded us that God will sac- sacrifice everything for the loss of the one, but also, uh, the woman reminds us that God is so much larger, textured, and complex than we ever uh, imagined to begin with. So today we're turning our attention to the third parable in the series, and this is the what is often known as, I said, uh, the parable of the prodigal son, or which I prefer to call it, the parable of the extravagant father. So turn with um, with me to Luke 15, and we're going to pick up with verse 11 through 24, 11 through 24. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said, once upon a time, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of my property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quick, quick, bring out a robe, the very best one. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Now go get the the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God God, indeed. Now this is one of the most well-known parables or stories in in Scripture. Um, For those familiar with it, as I say, we refer to it as the parable of the prodigal son who squanders his livelihood and who finally comes to his senses and returns home. Um, Though this is just part of the story. It's only one reading of the story. You see, there are two other main characters in this story of this parable that Jesus is talking about. One is the son who left. But the other two characters are the father and the grumpy older brother. Today we're going to look at the parable from the father's point of view. Next week, we will look at the grumpy old brother's point of view and see what the story says to us today. Okay? All right. So, every family has one. And if you're an only child, then I guess you were it. You know, the troubled child. That child. This youngest child asking for his inheritance is such a child. Straight away, the parable opens us with a shock that we miss in today uh, that would not have been missed by Jesus' initial audience. Um, The boy's demand to his father was about as disrespectful and pretentious as it could be, and would have been a slap across the face to his dad. We don't see that much of that today. But in the first century, that's what this demand was it was a slap across the father's face. Give me my inheritance. Who made you? The statement is scandalous for several reasons. First, daddy's not dead yet. Inheritances are distributed distributed upon the death of the patriarch. The father may tell his children, Now, I'm going to give you this, and I'm going to give you that when I'm gone. But the distribution of assets occur when the father finally dies. Second, the boy's demand shows that he feels some sense of entitlement to property and items that are not his and he did not earn to begin with. It's a culture of me. And third, this spoiled child is asking for his inheritance, violating family protocol by stepping all over his older brother's birthright. You see, the older son in that culture always got the inheritance first. The older son got the best portion. And this pretentious, self entitled, spoiled one demonstrates he doesn't care about his dad. He doesn't care about family protocol or tradition. He doesn't care about his older brother. He's only there for himself. And that's insult number one. A second insult that this young man makes when he demands his inheritance is he is, in essence, declaring to his daddy, Hey, Pop, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. I want what's mine. The third insult that we see declared by this young man Is that by demanding his inheritance, he is communicating not only to his dad, but to his entire family, that he can manage life better off without them. I can do it better than you. I know how to spend my inheritance better than you know how to save it for me for when I actually can get it. Now, we need to understand, brothers and sisters, that this younger son's actions represent his forsaking his family of origin. He is forsaking his family of origin. And we may do that in this culture, but back in ancient times, your family... They were your community. You hung with each other. You protected each other. You watched out for each other. So this young man is more or less saying, Daddy, you're not only dead to me, but so are all my sisters and brothers. Mama, you too. And what's the result of this young man's recalcitrance and pride? Well, he goes on a self-imposed exile. But he doesn't see it as much. He's just gonna go out and party. He's just gonna go out and have a good time. I'm gonna take what is mine and I'm gonna spend it and you know I'm gonna have a good time. But he doesn't realize that over time, as he loses everything, he is going into exile. He is further separating himself from community. And he doesn't even realize it yet. And that's the sad thing. But then something interesting happens in our story. Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. While the young man was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, at first blush, we don't see much in this brief scripture in verse 20, but it, let me tell you, friends, as we step back and look at it from 40,000 feet, we see it is layered with meaning and double entendre that we don't see from, with our 21st century eyes and ears. When the father runs, um, and embraces his son in verse 20, he literally, um, he, 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 well, let me, let me, on, on, on the first thing we notice is that, is that that father sees him from a distance. And he sees his father coming to meet him out in the, out in the field in the distance. The word that we see uh, or that we have for the word see or saw not only means to understand with one's eyes, but deeper it means someone can sense something with his or her heart. The inner senses. We intuit things if you have ever been a parent you know what it means to intuit about your child they can be at school they can be in seattle or up in boston but you know when something's not right you intuit it so the first double entendre is not that we just see with our eyes but the father is seeing with his intuition his heart, his soul. Something's not right with his boy. Another word that has a double-layered meaning is a statement where the father sees the boy a long way off. A long way off. It not only means distance. It not only means I can hardly see the people in the back row without my glasses. It also means that There is a breach that cannot be crossed. That the distance is so difficult, is so broken, that no matter what I do, I can't cross the breach. It's that far off. It's unreachable. It also is a metaphor for describing a person's spiritual life. If someone's spiritual life is far off, What does that say? They're in spiritual dark places, foggy places. They can't see well in their heart. And then he adds a third double entendre. When the father runs and embraces his son, he literally grabs him around. What does it say in our text in verse 20? He hugs him. What it literally says is that he grabs his son around the throat. In English, we use the term neck. But the ancient language is very specific. It doesn't say the father threw his arms and hugged him. It says he threw his arms around the neck, the throat, the trachea. It's the same word we get the word trachea. What's the trachea? It controls our ability to breathe. So, was the father lunging at the boy, grabbing him around his neck for punishment, retribution? Or was it something else? Oh, hugging. Have you ever hugged somebody so hard that you thought that they would just die? I mean, really, have you, thought, have you ever done that? Have you as a parent? I know I have. I've seen my child, one of my girls. I haven't seen her in a long time. I see her at the airport. She walks in through the door of the, of the, of the home, and, and it's all I can do is to drop everything and just smother her With hugs and just squeeze her as tight as I can because I don't want to let her go. I did that actually once to my mother in law. (laughs) Sweet Jane, I just started dating Kelly. And um, there was her mom, Jane, and then there was Grandma. Grandma was about 89, about this tall. So after I first met Kelly, I was went over there for a family dinner, and I came up to Jane, and I gave her a big old hug, squeezed her so tight, I heard, pop, pop. I said, oops. <laughs> well, well, the next Sunday I was invited over, three weeks later, I, I, I came to find out I broke two ribs. So Kelly's little great-grandmother, grandmother, And she'd see me coming as a hug and she'd do like this (laughs) don't hug me so tight you're gonna hurt me see that's what was going on in our story that's the words that are being used to describe this story so brothers and sisters let's put all these double entendres together see what it means on one hand, you have a boy wallowing in pig slop and excrement. A pig, if you are a Jew, is an unclean animal in the eyes of any good Torah fearing Jew. It's one of those animals that, if you hang out with or eat, you are impure. Your spiritual purity is tarnished, you are removed from community. This boy, in this story, it means the boy's not only exiled out of his family, but by eating with the pigs, he is removed from his family, his culture, his people, his community. This young man in the pigsty realizes he is three times removed from his daddy, his family, and his spiritual and social community. He has lost identity. What has he to do but to go back home and become an outcast and work as a hired hand? It's interesting, the story, as we read the young man's soliloquy, and hear his soliloquy about, well, maybe if I go home, my, my hired hands, if my dads are better treated than me. We don't know if he's sincerious, if he's serious about repenting and going back, or is he just seeing this as an opportunity to get fed? The story is up for interpretation if you read just the story. On the other hand, we see in our text our story. That daddy knew in his gut in verse 20, that daddy knew in his heart of hearts, his gut, his son was in a dark, exiled place. Daddy knew his son was clouded with spiritual darkness and that his son did not know what to do, that he was wallowing in an exile of his own choosing and drowning nevertheless daddy saw that even though his son was far away even while the son is still far away the daddy leaves the house he leaves the house to fetch his son while the son is still in exile while he was far away over the unbreachable breach the daddy left to meet the boy And he finally meets his boy, and the father throws himself at the boy. And the boy doesn't know, is it retribution? Is he mad at me? But the dad squeezes and just hugs him to death, not out of hate and retribution, but out of love. Lavish, extravagant love. He attacks the boy with love. Instead of stripping and beating the boy, the father does the unexpected reverse. He calls for the servants to bring a robe, not just any robe, which one? The best robe, and put it on him. He orders a ring to be brought and put on his finger. He orders sandals to be placed on his feet. Now a robe, this new covering, is his father's way of making the son feel respected and approachable again. It's a way of changing his son's status as a homeless person to a person who is now going to be visibly seen and accepted in their culture. A signet ring is put on his finger. A signet ring in ancient times was given from the patriarch to the next line in the family. The next in line in the family. The signet ring represented power. It represented authority. It represented your people. And then there were the sandals. He received sandals, a sign of social social stability, indicating he's now in higher standing than he was before, and he can enjoy the freedom of moving about without pain or discomfort. A robe, a ring, and a pair of sandals. Lavish gifts. And taken together, it was the father's way of reinstating his boy, bringing him back home into the family, back into the tribe, back into the people. No longer was the boy an outsider, he was an insider. No longer seen as a social outcast, the son is made clean by the father's demonstration of lavish, extravagant grace. No longer is the boy in fear, but he is caught up and hugged to death by his daddy's unbridled joy. Friends, how do you relate with this story? Have you ever noticed the father's extravagant love in this story before? Or have you just quickly identified with the brokenness of the wayward son, as many of us have? Friends, I want us to know, notice the story's emphasis on the daddy's extravagant love. The good news of the gospel is like a woman feverishly looking for that lost coin last week. So God is like a father who runs up to greet us even when we don't know we're lost yet and hugs us to death out of joy. This is the story of the extravagant father. And all of God's people say, pray with me. Holy Spirit of God, as we come, we thank you that we indeed acknowledge that we are the the wayward child. We go off and do it on our own, forsaking you. And yet you, O Lord, remind us, or the extravagant father, who even though we don't know we're lost, you come searching for us, hunting for us, gathering us up in your arms, hugging us so tight we can't even breathe because you love us so. O Lord, remind us of your extravagance Help reveal to each of us in our own life where we need to feel that embrace. Amen.